You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Another episode of Your Queer Story, the podcast about LGBTQ history. We are your hosts. I am the dashing, debonair, slightly neurotic Evan Jones, and with me at always, as always, is... And I'm the goldfish your mother flushed down the toilet after it died two days after bringing it home from the fair, Paul Hobbs. <laughs> we hope that you have been enjoying listening to our stories, and if you have, it would be incredibly helpful if you would go to iTunes right now. Well, wait, you can go. Put us on pause. I said move it, bitch! I'm kidding. Honestly, if you could go to iTunes, subscribe, download our episodes, and rate us a five with a caption that doesn't mention our verbal abuse, then we would be greatly appreciative. And make sure you put in the comment that Paul is the better host, because we all know it's true. Do not do that. (laughs) You can also find us on Google Play, TuneIn, and finally, because these motherfucking bitches finally accepted it, Stitcher. Yeah. We're also uh, going to be integrated into the new um, Google podcast that released two, on uh, June 20th. So we're still working on Spotify because they are revamping their system or something. I don't fucking know. Uh, but hopefully we'll be on it soon. If you want to know more, you can check us out at our website at yourqueerstory.com. Um, and there you can listen to our episodes as well. If you just can't get enough of us, and we do understand how that can be, mm-hmm. then you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Your Queer Story. And most importantly, we want to say thank you to everyone who's been with us from the beginning. Um, we love you as deeply as two emotionally repressed individuals are capable of loving. Oh, also, we are really hoping that the audio is actually good. I turned it down because Evan doesn't know how to be, talk at a normal human level. Oh, my Blaming me. No, it's actually I, me probably. I suggest that we go into a better room and and soundproof some things. But who knows? We don't know. So let us know. We hope the audio is improving on your experience. We do know it wasn't great in the past, and we are actively working on it. So the next few episodes or so are going to be us continuing to to tinker. I was going to say to twinker with it. <laughs> to which twinker. I think is appropriate for this podcast. <laughs> um, so we're hoping by episode 10 we're smooth sailing and that's like giving us five more episodes this is episode six so, so six, yeah seven, yeah, yeah. We have five. so we're hoping by episode 10 everything's working out smooth our kinks are all out well not all of our kinks <laughs> <laughs> the audio kinks are out um and we're smooth sailing from there all right but enough about our infomercial let's get queer in here and learn about your queer streak 
Today we are discussing philanthropist, multimillionaire, social advocate, and transgender man Reed Erickson, who, frankly, like a lot of trans individuals, is often forgotten or quickly passed over in our history lessons. But the truth is, without Erickson, one must wonder if medical needs for transgender communities would have progressed as far as it did or as they have in such a short amount of time. Erickson's funding and devoted interest to transgender research would lay the foundation for later institutions such as John Hopkins, Stanford, UCLA, and more, which would each establish programs specifically for the development of transsexual medicine. In addition to this, he also helped support the homophile movement of the 60s and 70s, most prominently as a large benefactor of one magazine. But who was this man and why do we know so little about him? And this is something I run into a lot whenever I'm doing research on trans people. There's, it's frustrating how little information we have about the trans community. And part of that is that you can't assign someone as transgender. And because that terminology wasn't around and even just being able to live openly as a man and a woman, like was just not permitted. There's so many characters in history that I feel were transgender, but, you know, we can't. And also, a lot of times in history from the things I've read, um, people didn't even fucking know until after they died. And the fucking people decided, oh, instead of burying them in the clothes that they said, hey, don't take me out of these when I die. (laughs) They strip them naked and they're like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people are they would they they did find out after there were some people in history that were able to live pass as a man or a woman, but they died and no one ever knew that they were trans until or they, they fucking took their yeah, clothes off they when they said don't off. take my clothes and off. Someone tells you not to take their goddamn clothes off. You don't take the goddamn clothes off. That is rape. Which, by the way, this brings up an excellent point. Um, the um, Dignity After Death Act, which is actually try- they're trying to pass in Rhode Island right now, and a lot of states are trying to get on the ballots. So the Dignity After Death Act... Hashtag dad. <laughs> oh, oh, you put it together. Okay, I was like, <laughs> I don't know. If, don't do hashtag dad, because I don't feel like that's what you're going to pull up at all. <laughs> it's going to be pictures of dads. The Dignity After Death Act... <laughs> Hashtag dad, hashtag not that kind of dad. Um, it, it's about um, transgender people being able to uh, be buried and, and in the end remembered for who they were. Because what happens is if you have family that's not supportive, which for instance, my family, if you have family that's not supportive, they can, um, or if the court, or if you don't have uh, immediate family in the area, the coroner can make the judgment on whether, on how um, they mark you down on your death certificate. So when I die, if I didn't have someone there advocating for me, the coroner, even though I had shown that I lived a life as a man, the coroner could look at me and decide, ah, I'm going to put that down as a, as a woman, you know. But an- another thing is, you know, of course there's there are other avenues such as power of attorney um, that you could give to your loved one. Um, and that's especially important if you, you know, you're sick in the hospital and someone could, you know, make decisions for you that you don't want them to. Also, your funeral arrangements, that's something that I thought about. Like, I want my fiance and my sister in charge of my funeral arrangements because I don't want people having a funeral for me that disrespects who I I would fight for you the whole time. I know you would. I would be like, nope. This bitch did not want fucking in the eyes of an angel played at his That's funeral. That's right. I would be out there with some '80s dance music, Thank you know, you. like playing it on my fucking boombox, 
And then you I probably, by boombox, you mean you're the little my phone. That, <laughs> you got your phone raised above your head, like John, what's his face? And what is it, Sixteen Candles? I don't know. It's the famous '80s yeah. scene where he's got the I would not let your funeral. I pro- they probably chased me out with like pick pork, pick pitchforks, pitchforks, yes. and fire. I know, but I would advocate. All the way. Well, I don't even... I want a memorial service. I don't want to be buried. I want to be cremated, and I want my ashes spread somewhere, or I want to be made where into a tree. Where do you want spread? I if they're spread and not made into a tree, where do you want them spread? Oof. In Indiana? Because <laughs> here's the thing. You can spread them all around the steel mills. Come on. <laughs> well, part of me wants my ashes spread on something where it's like a fuck yeah. Like, maybe like on the like the sidewalk in front of my church. I would do that. Thank you. I would spread a little bit there. A little bit. And then a little bit somewhere nice. Like, I don't know. Somewhere in Rhode Island. You know what I'd probably do? What? I'd probably infiltrate the church. <laughs> okay. And I would take your ashes and I'd put them in the pepper shaker. <laughs> of, like, where the priests eat. The, the pastor. Oh. We don't have priests because... Aren't they not, the same thing? Those, no, they're not. Don't compare us <laughs> to dirty Catholics. We are fundamental Baptists. <laughs> And the Catholics are what's wrong with this country. But you know what? The Fundamental Baptists, the IFB, they're going to come back. They're going to restore us all. Hallelujah. Okay, but anyways. I don't even know what we were talking we about. We were talking about <laughs> the, all of this happened because I was trying to say that transgender people are, it's hard to research them in history because although there are a lot of like individuals in history that I think fall under the category of transgender it's not fair for us to say that they were or weren't. And so you get very few people. And then when you do get them, there's even less information on them because they're, you know, they have to live in hiding, you know? Yeah. So, um, in all honesty, growing up until I, probably until I was like 20 years old, I did not know that transgender people existed. Yeah. Um, and I, you went to the, a public school. Yeah. Like, I was, I was so on a rock. But I were... went to a public school and everything, but... In no literature was there ever mention of a single transgender person in history, no matter what the fuck they did. Yeah. There wasn't even mention of gay people, let alone. Yeah. But nobody, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't in any movies. It wasn't on TV. There was no talk about it in any um, book or education. It wasn't taught in school. I didn't know any transgender people in school. Um, you know, if there were any transgender people in my high school or anywhere along my life, I hope they're doing really great today. Um, but I was just, I mean, growing up as a male who identifies as a male, I didn't know that that could be a thing. Like, I just mm-hmm. I, I just was never educated on it. Yeah. And oh. then one day I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I thought, you know, that's, that's them. Yeah. I yeah. just didn't know. One of the things that I think, two narratives that happen when it comes to the LGBTQ community, one narrative is that we um that we just appeared out of nowhere and the other one is that okay we were there but we were always off kind of doing our own thing and what the reason for this podcast and for like a lot of historians coming forward now and talking about queer history is they're trying to paint this picture where we've always been here and we've always been here with you like whatever you were doing we were doing too and but you were not talked about you know like reed erickson is a man that was very prominent in you know uh, in in American history, he, you know, he's he had um, he's a philanthropist. A lot of funding for a lot of different um, social reforms and laws and um, medical uh, um, advances. But you don't hear about him, even though there's other people that you just were, gave away all the whole podcast. We might now, as well just, end just the shut the whole here. thing out. Get out of here. <laughs> You're done. You got early. You got done early today with your history lesson. Lesson. 
But my point is that, like, you hear about other people that that were didn't even do as much way. though. But didn't, they even didn't even do as, do much. as much. And you hear about them nonstop, but you don't. But people like Reed Erickson, Patty LaBelle. Yeah, I don't even know who she I don't was. Know, I, don't think, I don't think that <laughs> she was just the first name that came to my head. <laughs> I don't think she has anything to do with philanthropy. But yeah, okay, same thing. It's a different Patty LaBelle. <laughs> the one you guys don't know about because she wasn't in history books. <laughs> All right. So first, we must understand why so few. Trans men are noted in history. We'd love to say it's because we want the ladies to have all the attention since they deserve it. However, the real reason is less heroic and more about the art of survival. The following script is pulled directly from the pages of Susan Stryker's Definitive History of Trans Communities and a regular source in our episodes. The book is titled Transgender History, The Roots of Today's Revolution, and this is what she writes. Transgender men before Erickson tended to disappear into the woodwork of mainstream society and tended not to participate in groups or organizations. One reason for this difference lay in the fact that it was easier for a mature female to pass as a young man than it was for a mature male to pass as a woman, with or without the use of hormones and surgery. Because visually perceiving someone to be transgender is one of the main triggers for anti-transgender discrimination and violence, Transgender women have been disproportionately affected by denials of employment and housing and by violent crimes against them and have had greater needs to take political and self-protective action. So she, you know, I mean, you do when you when you do read transgender history, when you if you do look up like well-known trans advocates, the overwhelming majority of them are women. And she explains why it's, it's because they're forced to therefore, you know, it is easy for a trans man, even today, like hormones for a trans man typically a trans man starting hormones will start to pass and that means that start to uh look like a cisgender man will start to pass within a year and it's very easy for them just to disappear whereas transgender women often take two to four years before they can visibly pass as a woman and even then it oftentimes requires surgery for feminization of the face they can do focal surgery because their voices are lower they're often a lot taller because um, you know, genetically born men are taller. We also yeah. have to think like um, a woman transitioning into a man. Like once they start growing facial hair or anything, like it's done. Like even if that person still has feminine features, like if you yeah. have facial hair, nobody's gonna think twice. They right? Might, exactly. You know, either they're gonna think you're younger or you just have a yeah. You just have face. a baby. You just have a baby face. Right. Whereas transgender women, if they've already started growing hair on their face. You have to go through painful laser removal surgery, and you have, and it has to be done repeatedly on the same areas of your face over and over. It co- it's very costly. It's very time consuming, and you've got to, and you got to go and go. You have to do it so many times before you the hair removal is done. So mm-hmm. it's just it's just a lot. It's a lot more, and, and because of that, because trans women weren't able to pass as easily, and because they're more open to discrimination and violence, they were pushed to the forefront. Whereas trans men could often. Uh, fade to the background. But while we must certainly place credit for the advancement of trans rights on the shoulders of so many brave trans women, we can also appreciate Erickson's commitment to the cause, even if commitment comes a lot easier when you have a crap ton of money. So let's talk about Erickson and his fortune. On October 13, 1917, in El Paso, Texas, Reed Erickson entered the world. His father, Robert, would soon establish a large leadsmithing company called Something Industries just outside of Philadelphia. Pretty sure it's Shulco. Shulkill. The Industries. Streets. There you go. Thank you. Reed would spend his youth in the historical city attending Philadelphia High School for Girls and later Temple University, one of the oldest and most well-respected research colleges in the country. It was 
at Temple that Reed would begin to fall in. I thought I said fall in love. I'm going to make up my own story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he began to fall in love with the nun. Everyone just forget and all of this. And that's when things got real weird because of nun and... I... <laughs> that's a whole creepy love story that you just, you just did your own thing. Here. I did. So... It was at Temple that Reed would begin to fall in with a left-wing lesbian crowd. So remember, this is the 1940s, and that shows how progressive that Philly was, even in this era. Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. So after graduating from Temple, Reed moved down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where the family business had relocated and was growing rapidly. He enrolled in graduate school at Louisiana State and in 1946 became the first person assigned female at birth to receive a degree in engineering at LSU. During this time, Reed became involved with a woman from New York who was a left-wing activist, and between her activities and his sexual orientation, Erickson was a lock for FBI surveillance, because remember, he's living as a woman at this time, as an open lesbian in the late 1940s. So Erickson was a lock for the FBI surveillance. There is a story that he was fired from a job for refusing to fire a woman because she was a suspected communist. So at this time, like the whole... So she was a lesbian and they're like, the lesbian's a communist fighter. This is, yes. Okay, so like when we do an episode on the Lavender Scare, basically like communist and gay became synonymous in the 40s and 50s. When a person was accused of being a communist, every time they were brought in for interrogation, they were also brought up like... So we have this evidence that you're a communist. Have you now? Have you ever been a communist? It's like a famous question that they ask. But they also ask, they also would say, we have evidence that you have participated in homosexual activity. And what do you, what say you? That was the exact question that they asked. So all a lot of people that were fired because of communism were actually fired because they were gay or lesbian. So, um, so Reed refused to fire the woman because she was a suspected communist. Whether or not this is true, we do know that Reed was blacklisted from several jobs as an accused communist himself, and since he was still living as a woman and therefore faced even more discrimination, it became impossible for him to find decent employment because he's living as a woman, as a female engineer in the 40s and 50s, and now he's an accused communist. Like, So when he was living as a woman, mm -hmm. would he be like, was he like a butch woman or was he like yeah. a lipstick? No, he was very butch. He was he was like wearing um, I I don't any picture that I saw of him all the way back to like high school. Well, not not high school, but college. He like wore pants, a tie. He wore men's clothing. Oh, so they were probably like. Oh yeah, this motherfucker over here. At this motherfucker, but he had a lot of money, so they could. They were also like, were you know what? <laughs> yeah, Just back up a little bit. Yeah. But never one to be deterred, Erickson started his own companies, including a fairly successful business which manufactured chairs and stadium seats. As Reed struggled to find a place in the corporate world, he continued to help out with the family business which was thriving. For a snapshot of the Erickson's wealth and prominence, as well as their possible co communist ties. They might have actually been communists. <laughs> I, most people weren't, but the Erickson's might have actually been communists. <laughs> uh, consider this interesting play of events. In the 1950s, Shirley Kill Industries sold a large yacht that Graham went to Fidel Castro. Castro would later sail the ship, loaded with armed guards, into Cuba and launch the Cuban Revolution. It is interesting the many diverse lives this family of Southern aristocrats would shift during their prominence. So, it is interesting that like they sold the boat. It was just an interesting story that like they sold the boat that Castro sold up, sailed on 
to start the Cuban Revolution. In 1962, Robert Erickson passed away and left the family business to Reed. Within a year, Reed contacted Harry Benjamin, a prominent endocrinologist of the time. Benjamin had started his research on transsexuals in 1948 when Alfred Kinsey asked Harry to look at a young boy who insisted he wanted to be a girl. Unlike other parents, this child's mother was trying to get her child help rather than trying to fix them. Benjamin prescribed the child estrogen and found it soothed the child's temperament. He also arranged for the child to have surgery in Germany, but after the two left to go overseas, Harry never saw from, heard from either of them again. Did they get killed? We don't know. He never heard from them again. They literally just, like, vanished? They just vanished. So, um, just a quick explanation. So, an endocrinologist is a person, they do a lot of things. I can't, I can't explain the whole medical aspect of it, but I can tell you that they deal in hormones. They're doctors that would deal in hormones, and um, up until recently, and in a lot of countries still, even in more progressive, um, you know, like, first world countries, European, uh, like, Western European countries... Um, people, transgender individuals are required to go to them to get prescribed hormones. So like a trans man, like myself, I take testosterone every week, uh, transgender women, they take estrogen and you have to go in a lot of places. They still, um, require you to go to these doctors to get a prescription rather than just going to your primary care, which can be more expensive. And of course the hormones themselves can be more expensive. I'm fortunate where I live. That I don't have to deal with that. But so when we say endocrinologist, so um, so Harry Benjamin was a pioneer in research on transgender medicine and um, and surgery, but especially on you know uh, hormones and administering them. And so Reed Erickson contacts him because he heard about him and he wanted to get started. Um, despite the letdown of the family disappearing, Benjamin had found his new calling and would become the most influential pioneer in transgender research and study. It was for this reason that Reed Erickson reached out to the doctor. In 1963, so a year after his father's death, Erickson began his physical transformation and began to live openly as a man. The next few years were a flurry of activity in all aspects of Reed's life. He was legally married to a woman in 1963, would leave her just a year later for a dancer in New York City named Eileen Ashton. He continued to run the family business very successfully until 1969 when he sold it to Aero Electronics for $5 million, which uh, is the equivalent of $34 million today. So, I mean, that's a pretty good amount of money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's just what he sold the company for. Right. You know. He also started the EEF, the Erickson Educational Foundation. This foundation was hugely instrumental in funding early transsexual research and in educating the public about transgender individuals and issues. No, it, it's like, till, like his father dies in 1962, and between then and, what, 1967, like, he gets married, he gets divorced, <laughs> he starts his physical trans transition, he comes out as a man, he, um... He uh, starts this foundation, the Erickson Educational Foundation, which is, is massive. Like, we're going to talk a lot about that. But um, he starts this foundation and just, like, all this stuff. So, that's in four years? Within four years? That's all within four years. So, if said. you're 16 and listening to this podcast, you're like, four years? Jesus Christ. Like, that's a lot of time. I can graduate all of high school in that time. 
If you're 25 and you're like, in four years, Jesus Christ, I'm like, lucky if I brush my teeth every day in four years. Like, that shit goes by fast. It does go by really fast. And he was on a move. I I wonder, it doesn't, because there's not a lot of information about him, I wonder what his relationship with his father was like. It couldn't have been bad. I mean, he went back and worked for the family business. But also... It might have been like a let's not talk about it kind yeah, of relationship. That's what, that's what I feel what like I feel it like. was. Yeah. It was very much a let's not talk about it. And then as soon as his dad dies, he is off and running. The EEF published a newsletter. Uh, <laughs> a newsletter. All right. So, so some of the things that the EEF did was they published a newsletter for transgender communities and also pamphlets for the communities and their families. Some of the titles included medical management of the transsexual, counseling the transsexual, religious aspects of transsexualism, information for the family of the transsexual, and many more. In the introduction of religious aspects of transsexualism, Dr. William Jean of the National Council of the Churches of Christ writes, A deep human need related to sex, whatever their expression, are a challenge to a pastor and to every member of a religious organization. Our commitment to a compassionate and merciful God who seeks to help each one of us achieve our fullest potential requires that we each reach out in love to all who are seeking a fuller and more meaningful life. To fulfill this ministry, we need to prepare ourselves both widen and deepen our understanding of persons and how they may relate to each other in love. So that was a pastor writing that in the pamphlet of a transgender, you know, a, tra- a pamphlet about transgender issues. Again, in the 60s into the 70s, and these were passed out all over the place. The whole pamphlet was several different ministers and clergymen coming forward and saying, look, we, you know, tr- you know, transgender people need the love and acceptance just like everyone else. And, and so they, they printed that in a pamphlet that they would pass out. So these pamphlets and magazines printed by the EEF were some of the only information available to a trans person in the United States. Reed had hired Zelda Supley... <laughs> I don't know anything about I know you're doing something this is where my education you don't know in. about Zelda I know it's some kind of game thing they, oh, I know you like we are gonna have a long night of games <laughs> I'm not but, oh yes you, you know are. I can't play games well, we've done gonna, this mo- many times in our friendship I am gonna teach you <laughs> to play video games and you're gonna learn all about Zelda and Link Every time, every time you do this, you're like, I'm going to teach you how to play. And then you take me in there. And then after 10 minutes, you get really irritated with me because I keep because dying. You're, no, because you're running in a circle. And <laughs> and you just I don't know how pissed. to do anything else. You're like, run over here. You're going to help us take down this dragon. I'm like, bitch, I can't get past this bush. So I don't know. <laughs> what not, do you mean I'm going to take down this it's dragon? It's not even like a little slime monster. It's literally a bush. I don't know. What any, I just know I keep running into the trees and it's a lot harder to get around them. <laughs> <laughs> they make it appear. <laughs> uh. So, Reed hired Zelda Supley to run the EEF, and she took the reins full force. She often passed out little books of information at police conventions. Uh, she also coordinated both the First International Congress of Gender Identity in London and the First National Conference on Religion and the Homosexual, which was hosted in New York. Zelda was very much a charismatic and kindly individual. She was a proud nudist, a lifestyle she and Reed both enjoyed, and the first fully nude model displayed on Playboy magazine. Uh, Zelda didn't believe in hiding who you were. Though she was not transgender, she was one of the community's fiercest advocates and defenders. Yeah, she's a very interesting person. I don't know if there's enough to do an episode on her. Maybe one day we'll like do like... 
um, like straight cisgender allies. Um, I don't know that she was straight. Straight and cisgender. I know. We got like uh, Evelyn Hooker, who was the, the hooker. The, the Evelyn Hooker, the prominent doctor. She was know. also a hooker on the side. She wasn't. I. You know. can find you her just, on the corner you, of Fourth and Third. Oh my! You just take this woman and you drag her name through the mud. <laughs> She's a good woman. She did good things. Her last name's Hooker. Oh, but she, she set herself up for failure. She. Her father set her up for failure. She could have changed her name. And she rose. Above. You did it about twenty times. <laughs> and it was a bitch. It was a bitch each time. But anyways, Zelda was a very free spirit person. Like we said, she was a nudist, which Reed was a nudist as well. Um, he actually owned a nudist colony in Florida for a while. Um, she was, uh, you know, like I said, she um, she was just very different. Like she had a lot of views that other people didn't. She was very much like a spiritualist and a, um, what's the word? Uh New age spiritualist, you know, um, and she and part of it was good because it made her more accepting and tolerant in her religious aspects. Uh, I don't want to say it was bad. She was just a different. She was a very eccentric person. She was very different, but she was probably perfect for the EEF at this time. So in addition to the EEF, Reed became a large benefactor of One Magazine, One Incorporated, the first openly gay newsletter in the U.S. and personally funded Harry Benjamin's iconic book, The Transsexual Phenomenon. He also formed the ISHR, the Institute for the Study of Human Resources, which allowed him to fund even more LGBTQ-related enterprises without bringing any more attention to himself from the Fed. So he kind of, he formed this, the whole reason that he formed this, made this foundation was so that he could, he could give to whatever he wanted and it didn't, like I said, it's the study of human resources. It was it didn't draw a, um, a name to itself. A lot of his stuff, like the even the EEF, the Erickson Educational Foundation, they couldn't just come out and be like the research for transgender, you know, medicine. Right. Like he he had to come up with these other names. But he did and he and he used the um, the ISHR to fund um, some non LGBTQ related issues, like just social issues. But that that was the the uh, the main purpose of it. Yet despite his attempts to fly under the radar, in 1966, Erickson openly threw his money behind the NTCU, which was the National Transgender Counseling Unit in San Francisco. The NTCU was the world's first transgender organization, and Reed paid for the rent, the office furnishings, and the salaries of two full-time peer counselors. That, like, Reed Erickson had a lot of money, but he used a lot of it. I, I mean, he has all a million different organizations yeah. helping a million different people. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like, I'll pay your salary, I'll pay your salary, I'll do exactly. this. Exactly, it was like you he, take care of people. Yeah, that's so, so what I say. Like we were chatting before, like in some ways, no, Reed we Erickson. <laughs> in some ways, Reed Erickson reminds me of Caitlyn Jenner in that he had a lot of money to just like come out, start a transition, and you know, just live how he wanted. Whereas most transgender people don't have that. Right. The difference between him and Caitlyn Jenner is that he like he understood that he understood that most trans individuals did not have accesses access to the resources that he did. So he created those resources for people who who couldn't afford it. Whereas Caitlyn Jenner just came out as a beautiful trans woman and was like, I don't know why everybody's complaining about it. It's fucking phenomenal. It's easy. I just had a couple surgeries, did a little boop, did a little bop, and I'm happy as and shit. And she was also like, make sure you vote for Trump. Oh yeah, definitely vote for Trump because honestly, people really blow the whole transgender discrimination thing way out of the of the way out of proportion because I haven't faced any trans uh, any discrimination. Why would you, Caitlyn? Why would you face any discrimination? Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, she's, yes, just people have made fun of her and they've dragged her name, but 
Compared, she has all the money in the world to do whatever the fuck she wants. Exactly. So like, she just has no... It's not just that she... It's not just that she... I Like, she has the money to have all the surgeries and do whatever she wants. And I'm happy for her. I don't think that she should not t- be use her money for to live and express herself how she wants. But she has no concept of the fact that other people can't do that. You don't just get to walk into the clinic, have a hundred surgeries... And with the best doctors in the world and walk out and look beautiful. Right. And and then just be like, this is my life now. Get over it. Like, trans women have to go through so much just to be barely accepted in society. Most and people she, can't even afford the basic, like, I don't want to say basic, but like, most people want like, you know, the sex, uh, the sex change surgery. Mm-hmm. And that's out of reach of, mm-hmm. I'd probably say, a vast majority the vast of majority. trans people um, which is really unfortunate. Well, what do you think about it? If you can't even get employment because you're transgender, you can't get good health insurance so that you can have access to that surgery. But even then, even hormones, even getting on estrogen, right, yeah. just a basic, or by, um, buying clothing that looks good, buying a nice wig if your hair hasn't grown out, getting laser removal surgery so you don't have to shave six times a day to keep, like, it, she just... The problem with Caitlyn Jenner, she just has a complete lack of empathy for what most trans women actually have to go to because right. her experience is not relatable at all. No. I don't know how we got to We were just talking about two wealthy trans no, we people. We have to that, we? Yo, this is where we're at. Oh, no, we didn't. You're right. So, anyways, there's two wealthy trans people that did very different things with their money. Right. Anyways. For all the good that his money and name did, Reed Erickson, the man was struggling he is a very eccentric person, and maybe that's what happens when one has more money uh, than they know what to do with. By the end of his life in 1992, Erickson had amassed over $40 which is approximately $78 million today. He had fled to Mexico after several drug arrests in the 1980s and was hiding from the U.S. government. He and his second wife had divorced in 1974, and she had taken their two children to California. He remarried again a few years later, but his third wife left him because of his drug abuse. He spent the remainder of his life in Mexico on a residential compound which he named Lovejoy Palace. His best friend was a leopard named Henry. Lovejoy Palace, come on. I, I don't know. It's he because the, that's the thing about Reed Erickson is like he was he was pouring his money to all these good things, but he was a very, like I said, like I said, a very eccentric. I don't know a better word to use, but like he was also a new age spiritualist. He was also a nudist. He was also like very into free love, which is fine. But he's also heavily into drugs. We see he goes through three marriages. I don't know anything about his two children. I know that he has two children. I'm guessing they adopted. I have oh, no yeah, idea. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Because they, they had the two children after they got married. So it's not like they were two children. They were children from her previous marriage or something. So I don't know. But again, he's wealthy. He can just go buy one off the streets. So um, Reed was very much a new age spiritualist. So think every cult in the 70s and 80s. Was that Charles Manson? Um, that would he, His cult, yeah, would have followed fell into the New Age spirituals. There's a lot. The Moonies were a New Age cult in the 70s and 80s. The Jesus Freaks, or the Jesus people who are still around, they started then. Uh, a lot of New Age spiritualist cults started at that time period. Uh, this perhaps gave permission to his excessive use of psychedelic drugs and honestly just drugs in general. Because a big thing about New Age spiritualism is, is psychedelics, which is one thing, you know, you're using a little marijuana, maybe some mushrooms, but then he started getting into cocaine and vitamin K, which is ketamine, and, you know, and he continued to do those for his entire life. 
and it would deteriorate his health until his death at age 74 on January 3rd, 1992. And uh, like I said, in between there, so by, there's just a big chunk of his life. Like, he's very active in the EEF until the early 70s, but his drug abuse really takes off. So his drug, so like, it's like after the early 1970s, you don't, he continued to fund these organizations, but he also, like, he just kind of disappears from the, the public eye. Then he gets caught up in a couple drug arrests. And then he flee. Eventually, he finally has to flee to Mexico because the feds were coming after him. And and like I said, that's where he left. And his his marriages were falling apart. It was like all his relationships fell apart. It was really sad to see this person so active and doing so much. And then like drugs just kind of ruined it in the end for him. That doesn't take away the good he did, but yeah, you know, the final years of his life were spent fighting a legal battle with one magazine who claimed Reed had bankrupted their company by severing his funding and kicking them off the property he owned, but had promised to give them. Unfortunately, we see that addiction can corrupt even those with the best intentions and kindest hearts. So, yeah, he had really gotten into one magazine, one incorporated, and he, um, and he like bought them a campus. He's like, hey, we're going to have, I think it was for like a gay college because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of gay people you know, were, weren't There's accepted in universities. There's a lot of them. They weren't accepted in universities or they didn't feel comfortable. And so he bought them a campus and then we don't know why, but his, he just kind of soured toward the organization organization and he got mad at them. So then he just abruptly cut his funding and was like, get off. But he had promised to sign the property over to one. So, and, and instead he was just like, now I don't want to support this anymore. And by kicking them off and forcing them to move everything somewhere else, they went bankrupt, so they turned around and they sued him. And the suit was still going on at the time of his death. His daughter actually picked up the suit after, and they ended up settling a few years later. So though Reed Erickson was not a perfect man, we do believe he was a good man with a real desire to help the LGBT communities and especially transgender individuals. Without his funding, crucial research would have been hindered and perhaps even lost beneath the wave of disdain that most medical and research companies held for trans people. An advocate who donated so much of what he had to queer individuals cannot be lightly forgotten or ignored despite his failings. What Reed Erickson helped create was a life savings for trans communities and life changing for their friends and families. We'll end the story with a part of a letter a mother of a trans woman wrote to Zelda, the manager of EEF in the 1970s. We don't have an exact date. The mother tells the story of her son coming home as a woman and the pure joy of her new daughter's face. She tells the story, then ends the letter with this. Then, dear Zelda, forgive me if this letter has become a little disjointed. I have to call you Zelda by your first name, for you have been holding the hand of my child, and your hand has been, I believe, the other hand in the hand of God. My husband explained something to me when he was alive, of the threshold of another sex upon which many persons are born, and how much these individuals suffer and how deeply they need our every aid. I believe, had he lived, he would have welcomed this opportunity for the chance my child will have to release her true self. Thank you, Zelda, and tell other suffering and confused parents of children and adults in this similar situation to have faith and direct their help and love to promoting this pioneer and godly work in self-discovery. And that is the story of Reed Erickson and the impact his work and philanthropy had on the LGBTQ community. For our recommended resource today, we are recommending the book Before I Had Words on Being a Transgender Young Adult by Skylar Kergel. That's K-E-R-G-I-L. It's a memoir about a young trans man who began his transition at age 17 and tracked his journey on YouTube. 
The book details his life and emotional journey before coming out and what wasn't shown on the screen. It is highly recommended. We hope you enjoyed the episode today. If you could subscribe, download, and rate us to five, you would be our very favorite listener. Yes, you. Specifically you. That's right. Over there with the ears, the nose, the hair. Also, make sure you follow us on Facebook and Twitter to see pictures of Reed Erickson. Check out our resource links and keep in touch with us. We want show ideas, questions, comments, feedbacks, and if you feel you have a story to share, then please let us know. Um, Until next time, stay queer. Stay weird. And don't get a lobotomy, you succulent sapphists. Which, by the way, it's Saphis and Sappho. You were right about that. Yeah, I know I was. I know. I just trusted you. Corrections. It's my fault. I don't know. I've read the name Sappho a hundred times, but I never, um, like, never heard it. And so I was, I was You just assumed I was wrong. I did assume you were Which was probably a good assumption. Cause... <laughs> I mean, most of the time I'm right that you're wrong. <laughs> but this time I was wrong that you were right. And so it's Sappho, and I want to put that correction out there now. Before the lesbian community takes me out and hangs me by my toes and does naughty things to me. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.